Hi everyone, my name's Lee Fitzroy and I'm the Coordinator for Sexual Harm Prevention and it's my pleasure to be your host for this podcast. The Diversity, Equity, Inclusion team have developed this Respect, Belong, Thrive podcast series as a way of highlighting some of our great people, their work at Deakin and the DEI training program that we deliver to Deakin staff and students. Prior to introducing today's topic and our guests, I would like to acknowledge the Wadawurrung people, the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm currently standing, and I'd like to acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging, and thank them for their care and custodianship of the land and the waterways. In this podcast, we're going to focus on the important role of our staff and our students who work in a variety of complex and important roles across the university and their commitment to engaging in some of the topic areas and professional development workshops developed and delivered by the DEI team, of which I'm a member. It's such a delight to have Melissa Howell in the room with me today. And Mel, we just really want to thank you for offering and accepting the invitation to come and join me to have a chat about your experience of participating in one of the diversity, equity, inclusion training workshops. My name is Melissa Hale, or Mel as everyone calls me. Uh, I'm a mum to three gorgeous, energetic children. Um, I juggle the responsibilities of parenting, full-time work, and I also support my partner in his business. When I'm not running around after the family or at work, I can be found enjoying a good book, relaxing with friends, or enjoying the sunshine at the beach, being an Ocean Grove uh, resident, or all three at any one time. I, I was born and raised in Western Australia. Um, and I have spent time in the Northern Territory uh, where I, I met I met Sam when I was working in Western Australia and then moved up to the Northern Territory to be with him. Spent six years up there working for Power and Water Corporation, specifically looking after the remote communities up there for their power and water needs, which was a really amazing experience. And I got to see some really beautiful countryside. We had two kids up in Darwin. Then we decided to move back to Sam's home state of Victoria and we settled in Ocean Grove. Once the two older kids had gone back to primary school, I found a job at Deakin and I've been here for the last seven years in various roles across finance and my current role is senior finance business partner. Wow, that's fantastic. Thanks, Mel. And there's so much about you that I didn't know. Um, obviously, you and I have met previously, Mel, but it's just I did a student placement up in the Kimberleys at Fitzroy Crossing uh, many moons ago and just loved, fell in love with the desert and the communities up there. But uh, tough, really tough, especially issues around food and water um, for people in remote communities. Yeah, absolutely, Lee. Absolutely. Mm. So, but we won't talk about the desert and living in the north. We will have to get onto some of the serious questions and the reason why we've come together today, Mel. So, could you, you mentioned a little bit about your work in, you know, in finance and your current role as a senior finance business partner. Can you tell us a bit about your role and, and how you contribute to the work at Deakin? Sure. As I said, I'm the senior finance business partner and I support the part of the futures portfolio. It's part of the portfolio that looks after the campus operations, the digital services and the infrastructure and property. Uh, there's a group of four finance partners that support the areas across the university and we help them in making strategic decisions and future focused decisions about their finances to make sure that the university is getting the best, the best value from um, the agreements that we enter into um, and is looking in the right direction to make sure that the university is financially sustainable in the long term. Wow, that's such an important role and there's so much that I would imagine sits underneath that really brief description of your job. But Mel, one of the things I'd be really interested in hearing about and our listeners as well is, is why did you choose to participate in a, in a diversity, equity, inclusion training workshop on, on sort of on bystander intervention? 
Uh, my manager, Nick Hayes, who's the Director of Finance Business Partnering at the university, uh, he organised the training workshop for us, um, for the broader team, not just the finance partners. So in the, the broader finance partnering team, it's probably a team of about 30 to 40 people that sit underneath Nick. Uh, Nick had previously been the group manager of finance within the old enterprise portfolio under which diversity and inclusion used to sit. So we had been exposed to this sort of training before, but Nick obviously realised the importance of bringing it to a new group um, and also to bring it the, the wider group together to do some training as a one whole group. So Mel, you know, one of the things that really struck me when you were talking about the work you do across the university and around financial sustainability and also obviously good governance that sits there, what's the connection? What do you think the connection was there for, for your work and the other members of the finance team and the training that you participate in and Nick's idea about bringing, you know, sort of bringing this knowledge into your area? As I said, I think Nick really understands the importance of this sort of training. And I I think that we're in a very privileged position working for Deakin University that we are exposed to this sort of training. It really is important for all of us to, to get access to these sorts of trainings because it's a really great reminder that everybody does have a role to play in ensuring that people can live unencumbered in their life for whichever lifestyle that they choose to live. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And I think I think it shows great leadership from you and, and the leadership in finance to, to see it in that way, Mel. That's probably an unusual way of thinking about it. But I really love that acceptance and interest in collective responsibility across the university and, and then sort of more broadly. Are there any aspects of the training that you found most interesting or valuable for either your work or your personal or private life? Uh, definitely, Lee. I think everybody obviously wants to do the right thing. Some people, I think, are held back in standing up or being an upstander or because they're, they're afraid that they might say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or it's through fear that they don't act, I believe. So to be able to be given the tools or the prompts to be able to intervene when we see something that's not quite right or doesn't sit right with us. I think that was probably the best part of the training that I found. And just that it was a gentle reminder that we do all have a role to play. Yeah, that's true. Thanks, Mel. And so that kind of leads us really nicely into me asking a question around application. So have you applied any of the thoughts or the ideas or the concepts that were covered in the training in your work in finance at Deakin or sort of more broadly in your community or family life? Well, it was really um, the timing of it couldn't have been more perfect the training was delivered. Uh, we had our training session up at Deakin downtown and I'm Geelong based. So on the train, on the way home from that training, I actually had to put the training into, into practice. I was on the train and I was sitting next to an uh, older gentleman and across the aisle from us was a group of teenage girls that were on a school excursion. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the man paying attention to these young girls and then he was trying to take photographs of them on his mobile phone and I politely pointed out to him that it's it's not okay to take photos of children and he seemed to acquiesce and take my point but then I noticed him trying to um, surreptitiously take photos with his phone and at which point I, I again told him that it, that's not okay it's not acceptable behavior and I stood up and went and stood in the aisle between him and the girls to obscure his view but I also let the girls know that I was there and I wasn't going anywhere. Um, and I asked them what stop they were getting off at. They were actually going to be getting off at a later stop than what I was. So yep. I suggested if they'd like to go and speak to their teacher who they had indicated was in another carriage. Um, so they went down and 
sat with their teacher and the teacher did come up and speak to me. Um, so yeah, it was it was amazing, the timing of it. It couldn't have been more perfect. Wow. Mal, that's an amazing story. And you and I had had conversations through email, but we haven't spoken about that example. And I, I really appreciate how much courage it takes to step up and confront a stranger in a public environment like the train. And I really appreciate you telling us about that example, Mal. How did you feel doing this? Um, afterwards, I felt like Superwoman. It, it really, <laughs> honestly, it really, I felt so good afterwards. Um, I felt yep. so empowered. And I would like to think that because I have a teenage daughter, a young teenage daughter, I would like to think that anybody in my situation would have done the same um, for her. Yeah. And yeah. I know that the the young girls were really, really very appreciative of me doing that. Um, yes. I could tell on their faces that they were not okay mm. with his behaviour. Mm. And I think what started out as a bit of a joke for them, you know, laughing at this man trying to take photos of us, they soon, the, it turned and they soon realised the um, the gravity of the situation. Mm, that's amazing. And what about the man himself? Did he, you know, because sometimes it's quite challenging when these sorts of conversations happen in public spaces with strangers. Did he get grumpy with you or did he get a bit defensive or a bit embarrassed? Uh, he didn't actually leave. When I first told him that it was not okay to take photos of young children, um, he sort of said, oh, I didn't realise they were children. Um, I politely pointed out that it was quite obvious. Mm. Um, but then when I said it again more strongly, he he didn't really say anything. He just went quiet. Uh, then when I said it more loudly and when I stood up and stood between the girls, other people on the train started to notice. And I think he then felt very uncomfortable. But mm. when he went, when he did go to get off the train, he tried to justify his photos, his him taking photos of saying, oh, it was just a lovely picture of these three young girls sitting there innocently you know, it was just a beautiful memory. So he tried to justify it to me, but it, it, you know, it didn't float. No, no. And I think, you know, they're broader conversations about how change happens, but often, you know, we all know that old saying about just, it can take just one person to step forward and make a difference. And, and your example is a really beautiful illustration of that principle in practice, Mel. So thank you. Yeah, we Absolutely. Yeah, and I did have a thought and a question for you, but wondering what your thoughts are around some of these broader conversations that are happening, you know, amongst young people about sexual harassment in public and, you know, the conversations you've got a young adolescent daughter about consent and the more broad conversations about the Me Too movement and, and how people are sort of managing in those spaces when they've got young people in their lives, um, both little people and, and adolescents. Do you have any thoughts about that, Mel, or any thoughts for us at Deakin about how we can tackle some of those conversations? Uh, Lee, there's not a, a word big enough to explain the importance of these conversations and these movements that are happening. I know all too well the impacts of sexual assault and sexual abuse have on a person's life. They're far-reaching and long-lasting. So these conversations are a must for me. And to have them out in the public and to be able to speak about them with my daughter and my two sons, particularly around, you know, last night we got the affirmed consent um, mm. laws changes in Victoria, which are a, a great step forward. And and, and is, it opens up the platform for me to be able to speak to my children about these things. 
But I just think that the importance of these conversations can't be undersold. As mm. I said, the, the impacts of those of sexual assault and sexual abuse permeate every part of a person's life and they're long lasting and they significantly change the trajectory of a person's life. So to have these conversations, the importance is just is paramount. Thank you, Mel. And I agree with you. I think part of being able to create change is to be able to talk about, to have the courage to talk about difficult subjects and have robust conversations. So I really want to thank you for your openness, your generosity, and also your commitment to change. And it's not just the change for your children, but it's also a change for the for Deakin, for the university and thinking more broadly. So Mel, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish up? No, my pleasure, Lee, to join you today. And um, thank you for delivering this training. As I said, I think, you know, the importance of it can't be undersold. So thank you. So I'm really, really fortunate to have Karuna in the studio today. And I guess the most important thing to start off with is to be able to introduce you, Karuna, and acknowledge that we're meeting remotely. So thank you very much for jumping into a Zoom meeting and participating in this podcast. We really invite you, Karuna, maybe to tell us a bit about yourself. And also then we'll sort of launch into some more of the formal questions about your role as a, as a student mentor and also some of the training that you might have done at Deakin. So thanks, Karuna. Over to you. Thank you, Lee, for having me. I'm studying a Bachelor of Arts Advanced Honours at Deakin, so I'm majoring in anthropology and minoring in history. I work in a few roles at Deakin University. One of them is the Wellbeing Ambassador role, and I've um, won a few awards over my time. So I've been a student leader of the year at two universities and won some vice-chancellor awards as well. Um, wow. So yeah, that's a little I didn't bit about know me. That. Yeah, yeah. So I've been pretty lucky. I've had some good opportunities and some great help. Yeah, but I think you don't get those sorts of successes without really good skills and knowledge and also a commitment. And I understand you're also on the advisory committee at the Royal Children's Hospital. So you're, you know, your engagement and your commitment to this sort of work is above and beyond your role as a student mentor and leader at Deakin. Is that right? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, they're doing some great work over there. And I, I know at Deakin, um, I'm a part of quite a few of the student as partner initiatives. With Yeah, something I'm really passionate about and that idea of co-designing with um, consumers and students. I think it's, yeah, a way forward, which is really interesting. Yeah, and I think there's so much to learn when we work in a, a partnership in a collaborative way. And I guess one of the things for me as somebody who's pretty new to Deakin is also to learn how we can best draw on the expertise and knowledge in the room and not just assume it comes from somebody else in a different or a higher position, which is always yeah. a challenge in training and, and sort of skill development, which is the focus of this podcast. So I'm going to sort of segue us into those more formal questions, Karuna. So thank you for that. One of the roles that I'm aware of that you do at Deakin is as a student wellbeing ambassador. And obviously that's how you and I met originally. And I've had been really fortunate to be able to work with you and learn from you in that role. Can you tell us a bit about it and what it involves? Yeah, sure. So as I was saying, it's a student as partner initiative. And what that means is we get to take part and uh, facilitate co-design from the planning stage all the way through delivery and feedback. Um, and we work on a 
variety of projects and initiatives across the well-being area. So, you know, things like Are You OK Day um, to programs like Mind Matters, we can be involved in the planning and the delivery. Onto that, we get to select action groups we'd like to be a part of where we're involved with weekly meetings with academic staff, researchers, as well as well-being and health staff members at the university. So, for example, at the moment, I'm on a sexual health action group as well as an alcohol and other drugs action group as well. And, yeah, it's a great role because we get to see the different stages of um, campaigns and initiatives developing. And we get to really design, deliver and review programs. So it's quite a unique opportunity as a student. Yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity, but it's also fantastic for academics, professionals like myself and the university as a whole to draw on the expertise and the knowledge that our students bring. And because, you know, so many people think of it as a place of learning, but it's also a place of exchange of ideas and critical and robust engagement. So it's kind of a win-win for all of us. So it's fantastic that you're in that role. So was that part of the reason why you chose to participate in the Respect at Deacon training, Karuna, or was that part of sort of a broader commitment from the agent from the organisation around staff development and development of the student wellbeing ambassadors? Look, there's a couple of factors of why I chose to be involved. One of them was as a wellbeing ambassador. The training did want some feedback in the early stages of co-designing to have some well-being ambassadors involved. And as I was on the sexual health action group, I got the opportunity to partake and I was really quite keen in that. I know I've seen a lot of um, campaigning that's been done in the university sector to see something like this happening. So I was really keen to see where that was at. And also, it's so important in today's climate that organisations from parliament to education to retail really show that they're keen in creating a culture that has awareness around sexual harm and reducing sexual harm as well as just general education. And to be a part of process of developing that and getting to trial it out, give my feedback. I was really keen to do that. And it was a great experience. Thanks, Karuna. And I think that process of trialing something, being open to feedback and modifying and changing both mm-hmm. the content, but also the way it's delivered and, and how best to have complex conversations. Because once we start talking about sexual harm or we're talking about respect or discrimination or harassment, they, they can be tricky subjects to talk about. So what do you think, and I'm just jumping ahead a bit, but I'm thinking if you could share with us what you thought was the sort of the most valuable part of the training. Was it the engagement with the other ambassadors, the ideas you were debating or content? What what do you think was the most helpful? I like the fact that we talked about intersectionality, so understanding power, privilege, discrimination and abuse and how that interrelates with sexual harm and experience of sexual harm. I like the fact that we also looked at difficult conversations but 
we didn't stop there. We also looked at responding to resistance and backlash. And I think covering both of those topics is really important in preparing people to, you know, how to engage in relation to cultural issues of sexual harm. And then we got to apply our knowledge through case scenarios, case studies, which can be a bit daunting initially, but from my own experience, it does really help to reflect back once you're in a moment. If you've done a case scenario, it really helps with that confidence to go, you know what, I can address this and, you know, I can say something and I can do it in a way where I'm showing respect and regard for all those involved. I, I, I really liked how we didn't bypass any of the challenging aspects. And that's really important feedback in thinking about, I don't know about you, but I always find the best way I learn is for me to try things out, but to do that in a safe way. And sometimes that can be really challenging in a training environment where, you know, you may not know each other so well, but with your wellbeing ambassadors, you've been doing some getting to know you stuff and people kind of have a shared value base and shared commitments. So that must make it a bit easier to have some of those kind of more difficult conversations about, well, how would I respond? Backlash or resistance? Yeah, definitely. So we're a group of students who've worked together on quite a few different projects and students who have demonstrated a keen interest in doing professional development, knowing how valuable it is now to show that you've done training around how to approach dialogue and policies in relation to sexual harm. And we're in a world where not just social media, but also people want to have conversation. It's And it's about feeling a part of creating a culture that is focused in being welcoming to a diverse range of people and ideas. So, yeah, I know with the wellbeing ambassadors um, and in an environment where we had a facilitator like you, Lee, it meant that it was a really safe space to explore and experiment in challenging, tough topics. We knew that we were safe, we knew each other, and that practice does always help (laughs) for real-life situations. So. Thanks, Karuna. And and I guess it is that thing around almost not knowing how the words are going to sound until you yeah. say them and being attentive to how it looks and feels and then what happens in the interaction with each other. And that's just a really lovely opportunity, I think, to explore that. So thinking about the practice, can you tell us whether you've had an opportunity to put some of those ideas, concepts or practices into your work, whether it's with the Royal Children's Hospital Advisory Committee or any of your other student mentoring roles or life work outside Deakin, Karuna? Yeah, look, as I've I've referenced throughout our little chat, we are in a climate where this type of knowledge and awareness is really common. And we know that, unfortunately, people do have experiences of sexual harm and they often do look for, you know, a colleague, whether it be a staff member at university or a friend or a mentor, to really have a chat and have an experience of someone listening to them closely, but also someone who has the ability to let them know about services, programs, safe spaces they can go to to get further assistance as well and ability to process it. So in all honesty, it's not unusual that I reflect back on the training that I had and whether it be specific 
potentially sexual harm or some other form of harm or some level of uncomfortability that a person may express. Aspects of what I've learned in the RESPECT training are transferable, and not just in uh, work environments, but also in social environments, you know, whether that be a cafe or it might be, you know, a special music event or something like that. So, yeah, definitely several times. Thanks, Corinna. And yeah, as you mentioned, it is a brief chat. It's an opportunity for us to dip in in a really brief way to some really complex ideas. But I do want to just thank you for taking the time out. I know you're an extremely busy student and member of your community, both the student body and your broader community. And I think being able to hear your advice and your feedback and also your thoughtful commentary on the sort of training that we're trying to develop and deliver at Deakin's really helpful, Karuna. I really hope it's helpful for our listeners, but it's also been really helpful for me. So, you know, you and I met a number of months ago, so um, last year, I guess, in the middle of COVID, and we've never met face to face. So it's just such a lovely thing to meet again in Zoom and have a bit of a chat. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to add or say before we finish up, Karuna? I just want to say, Lee, thanks for all your hard work that you do at Deakin around the issue of sexual harm and making safe spaces. I know there's a lot of people who've been log- lobbying for a very long time to see this stuff happening in action and just make sure that you re- you're recognising the great work that you're doing and keep it up. <laughs> That's really kind. And um, I just want to reassure our listeners that uh, the check is in the mail, Corona. That was really lovely. <laughs> I'm so positive I hope my boss is listening. <laughs> but that was lovely. And it's a it's a shared process, isn't it? As you were yeah. saying, shared journey. I learned from you and your colleagues. And for me, it's really important that Deacon takes responsibility for making a safe place for everyone. And it's, you know, our student advocates and our student leaders are so much part of role modelling that. So I thank you for your work in that as well, Corona. Oh, good, good. Not a problem, not a problem. Thanks again to Mal and Karuna for joining us today and sharing your experiences. Um, For any of our listeners, if you're interested in engaging with any of the training that Mal, Karuna and I have been talking about today, you're more than welcome to jump onto the diversity, equity, inclusion training information on our website at Deakin or make contact with us through the respect at Deakin email address, which is just respect at deakin.edu.au or give me a call. It's always nice to have a chat as these podcasts have illustrated. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks to Mel and Karuna for being our very valuable guests today. Okay, bye. If any of the content within this episode has caused you distress and you need support, you can contact 1800RESPECT. That number is 1800-737-732. And that service is available 24-7. Or you can also jump online and find their website at www.1800RESPECT, or one word, .org.au. If you're a Deacon staff member or a student, you can also contact Safer Community. That telephone number is 9244-3734 and the service is available Monday to Friday, 9am to 4pm. You can also email them at safercommunity, or one word, lowercase, at deacon.edu.au. If you're a staff member, there's the Employee Wellbeing Service and that telephone number is 1300 687 327 and that service is available business hours. 